Hey, everybody, welcome again. It's a Thursday. We are back with the conversation outspoken and opinionated. Of course, I am the host, Edwin J. Meyer. Today, I'm going by Edwin J. So I just want you guys to know I try to cut it down because I realize, you know, the name kind of long. So we're going to do with Edwin J. today. But man, I will tell you guys, um, she's trying to be, you know, she's trying to be us piffing and stuff with me and all this stuff. But guys, it's been two seasons. I want you guys to know she is my silent supporter. She watched mostly probably all the shows. Um, give me little pointers here and there. And it's my friend. Um, I think she's an amazing person. You guys will enjoy her. The wealth of knowledge is uh, it's crazy. And so I want you guys to get ready because I'm going to invite Miss Asatu Shannon. And she's going to join us and tell us exactly what it is to invest in Africa. And basically the, ec the economics factors around investing in Africa. So, hey, welcome, Asatu. This is the conversation. And you're alive. Watch this go tear it up. Hey, hey, I know you don't have the copyrights to this song, so I'm yes. gonna cut it short. Yes, my part of this, people, I just want y'all to know, okay? So <laughs> just putting that disclaimer out. But as such, yes. I want to say thank you for honoring this invitation. Thank you for being here. Um, oh, Lord, my head. Oh, goodness. I know. Oh, in my face. But thank you. This is what happens when it's a live show. Stuff happens. But thank you for being here. Um, this is The Conversation. We appreciate we, are, we appreciate you. We say thank you for coming on our platform and just helping us to reach, to reach people around the world who really don't understand what it is to invest in Africa and all that good stuff. So, hey. Can you just tell the people who you are and what you do? Where First you of all, before we get into the introduction, my friend EJ, I want uh, you to appreciate me. I want you to appreciate this outfit, okay? Let's get uh, into it real quick. Listen, when an African woman shows up with her shoulder out, okay? okay so, you know what that means. That means that I mean business, okay? I'm giving you my single vibe, businesswoman vibes, please. Okay. So this is going to be the show. Just the lady rolling in with the all <laughs> shoulders. She got them lips beat. She yes, got, the rings. She got that blue and silver rolling. Look at that. Just, 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 just even look at the painting behind her. It's all about royalty. It's all about black excellence. It's all about balls, chicks. It's all about women making a mark on the world. I'm so excited to have you. And I hope my introduction was as grand as you anticipated. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I people, I'm actually shyer than people think, believe it or not. So I've been to avoid this, but I just want to give you your flowers before we even get started. EJ, you are doing your best and you are doing a good job. The production value is really applaudable. You were be you've been so professional leading up to this with the reminders and the audio check and the video check and requesting a, a higher resolution picture for me. So bravo to you. I'm glad that you're giving Africa and random people around the world some some view and some insight on what it is to do this kind of stuff and giving people a platform so thank you for inviting me to this illustrious platform i am honored and flattered and let's get this party started okay so miss asatu shannon i say she's the ceo the boss chick the entrepreneur guru 
just tell the people, you know, what you do, you know, uh, um, outside of letting your shoulders out and, and letting the hair go. What else do you do? Um, well, so I have a background in finance. Um, I've always worked in finance from the beginning of my career. Uh, I started with a family office doing private placements, which basically means that you have very wealthy people who have accumulated a lot of capital and uh, they hire a team to um, make sort of bilateral investments in opportunities. So they don't go through brokers, they don't use investment banks, and they just privately place large sums of money into deals. So I started my career doing that. Um, and we invested in frontier oil and gas companies. Frontier oil and gas companies are basically like small oil and gas companies before they become super majors, like the ones we all hear about, like, you know, Exxon, Chevron, et cetera. So that's how I kind of cut my teeth in the business. And I made a name for myself. I started my career in London and I got headhunted to join a hedge fund um, as their VP equity analyst um, on their inaugural Africa desk. So this firm had a track record of investing in public markets, which basically is a stock exchange um, around the world, primarily, primarily in the UK. And, you know, Africa was booming back then. I won't tell you the year because it'll date me. Actually, it doesn't even matter because it's okay to get old. This is um, back in 2008. Okay. So I started working for this firm as their VP. I was, you know, a young, you know, little something in London running the streets. And they were like, this girl is something. So I got headhunted. I got poached from my old firm to join them. But I also joined them, for those who are familiar with the markets, in September 2008. This was the beginning of the financial crisis that kind of kicked off a lot of things. The, you know, the, the mortgage crisis in the U.S. that spun off and, and snowballed into basically a global financial crisis. I was at like the eye of the storm because I worked for a firm that basically invested in stock markets. And so our investors started to do redemptions and whatnot. But what was cool was that I already had an offer um, to join a startup private equity firm in Sierra Leone. And I had been sitting on it for like a year um, because sometimes being in the West is juicy. But when everything started to, you know, go left, right and center, I was like, but God is good. He just be knowing. So I just took the opportunity and moved to Sierra Leone, um, where I worked for a startup private equity firm that was funded by like development finance institutions, high net worth individuals, um, other private equity firms in the UK. And I stayed there for three years, which was, you know, I went there not having any family. I had never been to Sierra Leone, but I am a risk taker with most things. So I thought, listen, you know, what better time than now to, you know, give it a go. All self-respecting Africans, especially us who have grown up in Africa, want to do something in Africa at some point. So that was sort of my rationale. This is my opportunity um, to give it a try. So I did it for three years and it was great. We were sector agnostic, invested in everything except for the mining industry. So we did um, mobile payments when mobile payments was just kind of starting at that point, um, manufacturing um, in an ice company, which doesn't sound that sexy, but it actually was very smart because in post-conflict countries where you have erratic power supply, um, people can't keep their goods you know, cold and preserve it. It's actually a really big industry, especially in places that have long coastlines because then you can serve the fishing industry. You know, we did a lot of different things. Um, so I did that for three years and thought, you know, it's time for me to go and get my MBA. Let me just, you know, close this whole business profile, you know, make it full circle. Went to Chicago, stayed there for two years in um, uh, what could best be described as a tundra because it was 
frigid. <laughs> Let me tell you, okay. <laughs> I remember one day I was walking to like the, the 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 metro stop to get the train to go to the airport. It was only like five minutes away from my apartment. I kid you not. I was probably one more minute away from getting frostbite. That's how cold Chicago gets. Anyway, did business school, went to Goldman in London. Um, that was my only goal to go to the top firm in London because I wanted to be in the EMEA markets. EMEA is Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So if you want to do anything, most things in, um, if you want to do most things in business in Africa, being in Europe is actually the ideal place to go just because of proximity. So you have a lot of firms um, that are Africa focused that will have a team, their EMEA team based in Europe instead of being based, for instance, in, you know, Tokyo or New York or whatever the case may be. So a lot of times when you see people going to Europe who maybe are educated or whatever, it's because they have that sort of focus. And so I did that for a couple of years and for various different reasons, um, uh, decided to leave and start my own thing. Because again, I just thought it made sense. And so now I run um, Lodges Groups. So Lodges Groups is an investment and strategy uh, advising firm. Uh, and we do it for in, in different ways. So I broker deals, I invest in opportunities, um, and I advise on business operations. So I can give you more specific, you have specific questions, but broadly speaking, that's what I do. Okay, great. Um, for such a young lady, you've done a lot. <laughs> as young as you are, you've done a lot. But um, I think I want to focus on your work in Africa. I want to focus on the things you've done investment-wise in, in Africa. And I know, you know, when we try to get you on the show, we also have to go, you know, through your little stuff. So I got my little spy. And of course, we know that, you know, you have your business in Liberia, Daily Goods. Um, I call, I told the person who helped me to do stuff, I tell her, I say, it's like a bodega. She's American. So when you try to let, she's like, well, yeah, I'm like, it's a bodega. Yeah, yeah that's that's what it is. It's like a corner store. It's like you go and get all your regular stuff from there. But um, you mentioned some of it, but I really want to know, can you, um, you already told us who you are, what you do, but investing in Africa, how has it been for you? I mean, that's a very big question because there's, I've had, I've been doing it for a long time in companies. I've been doing it for myself for several years. Um, so it really depends on what you're trying to get at. I mean, I can tell you about what it's been like as a young black African woman without a brand trying to broker deals with established institutions. I can tell you what that's been about. Um, I can tell you what it's been like um, working with in a male dominated industry. You know, I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse. You hear about these things all the time, but it, it's real, you know, like what you get questioned about, you know, the resistance, the, the, the egos, there's a lot of things I've had lots of different experiences on sort of like an interpersonal level as mm -hmm. you know uh an independent um i guess service provider in the industry mm -hmm. and then we can talk about the economics of it you know um oh, i want to okay. clarify though that i don't consider daily goods is an investment by the um, way that i did with my sister okay um but it's i it's not um it's it's the thing that hear about because we post about it on Instagram, on social yeah. media, etc. And it's a brick and mortar place that you can see. You can't see what I'm doing when I'm like, you know, having negotiations with like the World Bank, right? But you can see this thing. Um, but it's, I don't consider it sort of like, um, like a, a, a key investment of mine. Okay. It's definitely in the portfolio. 
And if I were a big institution, it would be in the foundation part of the institution. And the reason we decided to do it is because um, number one, we saw an opportunity, we saw a gap in the market. There's a new sort of suburb outside of the city in Liberia getting a lot of attention. A lot of people want to move out there, but there were no goods and services provided in sort of a reliable, professional, modern way. You know, if you drove, it's called Marshall, you drive out to Marshall just to get something as simple as a cold drink was difficult, you know? Um, and so my family lives out in Marshall now, my parents live out there. And so for me, it was a no brainer um, to just have that facility. You know, some of the simplest things are the best business. So it came out of necessity. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that I wanted to create employment. People talk about how they're helping the trees and how they're doing this and how they're doing that. But I do not subscribe to development work as it is commonly defined. Mm -hmm. um, because the reality is that if it was effective, they would become less and less necessary. And you can imagine that institutions, we won't be calling any names here, but development institutions are in no way aspiring to phase out their businesses. And so just from that logic alone, it makes me dubious about their true intentions about alleviating poverty and increasing individual wealth. I am a capitalist. Okay, so I'm all about giving people the opportunity to do their own thing, right? Even if I'm paying you a little amount of money, it's money that you would not have previously had, or it's money I would have taken out of my pocket and unsustainably tried to support you. That doesn't motivate you, doesn't teach you anything. So that really is the premise behind Daily Goods, to create jobs in outside of the city um, for people who I otherwise probably would have been supporting. Um, and to enable them to have access to sort of, you know, modern things so that they their mentality about business and supporting themselves can evolve. So Daily Goods, for instance, is off the grid. We're not on public supply of electricity. And by the way, even if we were in Liberia, it would be erratic, right? Um, so we have, you know, a solar system that supports the business, which needs to be monitored. So these are people who, you know, may have never interacted with this um, or have not interacted with it in the past. That's a fact I can tell you. Now have to manage a, a pretty intricate AEC solar system, you know, with a timer and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I take pride in that. Um, we have a Wi-Fi system that powers our back office um, POS system, the point of sales, um, it manages our inventory. Um, and that's something that, you know, nobody else in the area does, you know, so they're learning sort of, you know, business skills, math skills, they're playing around with tech stuff, they understand the value of renewable energy. So that's really like the background on daily goods. Mm -hmm. Why I decided to do it is because it was a need. Why in Liberia? Because I am Liberian. Why oh, in Sierra Leone? Because I used to live in Sierra Leone. Yes, answer I, my question, y'all people. She got my cheat sheet. Listen, you got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready, okay? I, I don't want any curveballs I, I have to dodge, so let me just get to it. it. She has given me everything I want, but I want to, I like to, you know, I just want to create a scenario. I know for me, um, being Liberian, you know, coming to America, having an opportunity to go to college and all that great stuff, you know, you 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 go back 
after a long time for your first visit and you see all these great opportunities oh i want to do this and i want to do that and i want to do the other but it never i think for me it never went into fruition i never received anything back i did invest in certain things but i never received anything back and i think why i even had this conversation why i'm having this conversation with you is i have a lot of friends and i know a lot of people who've gone through the same thing they go to liberia and somebody said oh you know you can just go to the, the store buy some clothes get it to liberia and sell it and make some money and at the end of the day you don't get any return on an investment because there are 500 people that are selling clothes there are 500 people that are selling this so you know what i'm asked i'm saying all of this to ask you to bring you in and to understand like how did you I know you said it was out of need, but how do people target the market for them to know exactly what kind of what the, what can they invest in, especially when it comes to like Africa, countries like Liberia, Sierra Leone, is right after war and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think the simple answer is we have this right in Liberia. You got to cut your shoe your, to your shoe size, right? Mm -hmm. Like not everybody like i'm not in education for example and there are people in education so i know some people for instance who have written fantastic books i know some people who um a great friend of mine has an amazing initiative check this out it's teach for liberia it's a franchise of teach yes. for america he's investing in the minds of liberian people which is applaudable necessary and marvelous all in one that's his area right um i just got back to Liberia two weeks ago, and there's a new business, um, you know, in town. Uh, it's like a like a kind of waterfront lounge situation. This man had the capital to do a, a fairly large capital intensive investment that's in the entertainment sector. So the short answer is, fill your space. What do you know? I know you're in healthcare, so why would you come and sell T-shirts? You're in healthcare. Why would you come here and come to Marshall and open a bodega? Mm -hmm. That's not something that you're you're neither an expert in it nor are you passionate about it. So any little wave that comes and shakes the boots, you're gonna pack up and say, you know what, I don't even have to be doing this. Let me just go back to my comfortable house in Maryland. Yeah. That's the short answer. Do what you're good at, do what you like doing. And it's cliche, but it's real. You know, I like the idea of paying people. Daily Goods has been open for, we're in our fourth year. Never miss the salary payments. Um, we've expanded to Sierra Leone. We've tried different things that have either succeeded or failed, but you know, everyone's invested and we're learning. And I'll tell you what, there are both private and public sector businesses right now that cannot say the same. So however small or insignificant you think Daily Goods may be or whatever you're interested in doing may be, you can have your own success story however you define it. So answer the question, um, as a woman in the financial industry, um, were there times where you were, where you thought that you were not taken serious because, because it's, yes. <laughs> what kind of question is that? Yes. Uh, okay. Every, every, every second, perfect okay. example. I'm not even going to have to go that far into the past because that's how frequently it happens. And this is not about me being sensitive. Um, and by the way, people who say I'm sensitive should develop their emotional intelligence because I'm not a foolish woman. But, um, you know, most recently, actually, I like I said, I I found it and I operate largest groups. And one of the things that we do our verticals is um, investment advisory. So right now I have a live deal. It's super interesting. It's basically edible carbon dioxide. It sounds kind of boring, but edible carbon dioxide, by the way, 
is the bubbles that you find in Prosecco, in Champagne, in all your carbonated beverages. So it's actually a very necessary feedstock for some of the biggest companies that you can imagine. And um, my, um, my clients want to start this thing in their home country. And so I've been talking to people in my investor universe, and by people I mean institutions, and um, now there's an older Black American man who works for me, right? So he's kind of, you know, helping me get out there and, you know, use his network and, and you know, he's along me in the process, but it's under the auspices of Lodge's groups, okay? okay? So I'm the boss. So this guy connected me to a large multilateral organization. Um, and we've been going back and forth on email and whatnot. We've had several calls and I've been pitching the concept. And after one of our calls, I had to follow up, you know, with some information. And so I sent the information. I was like, you know, let me know when you have the opportunity to review these documents. I'm happy to have a follow up call, et cetera, et cetera. Radio silence. No response. No, okay, thanks for this, we'll get back to you. No, nothing. I said, okay, no problem. Things happen. Days went by, weeks went by. So the guy now who works with me hits me up on WhatsApp and says, hey, Asatu, you know, you should follow up on this thing. I didn't like the idea that he was telling me this, but I said, okay, you know, it's fine. It makes sense. You know what I mean? You cannot like something, but if it makes sense, you gotta keep it moving. So I sent a follow-up email, radio silence. So now I'm like, what's going on with these people that you to me to? How serious are they and how interested are they, you know? And he said, okay, you know, this is kind of weird. I'm really sorry about this. He sends an email. I kid you not, within less than a few hours, by the end of the day, people were like, oh, hi, Mr. So-and-so. Thanks for getting back to us. Sorry for the delay. And basically gave us the response that we're looking for. Why then could you not do the same when I emailed you last week? And I emailed you back two weeks ago. And by the way, in the first call, this man introduced me as the person who's pitching this thing. I've been leading these discussions. I've been carrying the whole, carrying on my shoulders. Why? So I don't know, like, could it have been an oversight? Maybe. Could Can I be maybe reading too much into it? Maybe. But in this day and age, who misses an email? Hmm. That happens all the time in various different forms. They thought I was his analyst and they were waiting for him to get involved and so on and so forth. Since then it's been regulated. But yes, I do have, um, I do find people don't take me seriously. And that's been the biggest problem. I will, I will say it's been very difficult at times. And so with that being said, how do you, how have you been able to turn that experience or that scenario for it to work for you? I mean, I think that's a good question. I mean, I'm in the process of doing that right now, right? It's a constant evolution. One of okay. the things that I've decided to do is that I need to put myself out there a little bit more. Um, you know, in finance, uh, it's not unusual for people to kind of try to ride under the radar. You know, the firm that I used to work for didn't even have its name on its building, you know? Because oh. they're like, why, you know, who cares what passerbys yeah. think about, you know, like the people who we're cutting the checks from or who writing us the checks, they know who. So I kind of adopted that. And I think um, that doesn't work when you're an individual and when you're trying to build your brand. So I've recently you know, like built a website and. No. No. 
Okay, guys, we know this is live, so this is what happens um, when you're just having some of the technical difficulties, but I know she's going to be back soon. So let's just, yep, there you I'm are. I'm back. Yep. Sorry. Oh, no problem. It's live. That's what happens. Don't worry about it. Yeah, so I think the, what I, all I was saying was that I'm just trying to strengthen my brand equity mm -hmm. by doing some things that, you know, a lot of people in the tech world probably already know. Like, I've built my website, so that gives it more authenticity. Um, and just, you know, um, like having this guy on board, you know, working alongside me, you know, as much as you may hate it, partnerships work, you know? Uh, so I think those two things right now are what I'm doing. And listen, if you have some suggestions or if your listeners have some suggestions, please feel free to chime in. Because so, listen, I'm not going to solve the problem, right? I'm not the first person. I won't be the last person to go through no, this. Exactly. So um, going, so with Africa, um, what are the top three industries currently trending upward in Africa? Tech anything. And that question so, came from Glenn Okoro. Tech anything, trust me. Ag tech, edu tech, health tech, tech anything is popping right now, okay? Um, and that's obvious, you know, so, you know, uh, repeat an obvious thing, but it's true. Mm -hmm. um, in sort of maybe conventional, traditional industries, agriculture is always interesting um, because you can, you know, I saw a graph the other day and where it was like GDP per capita versus like poverty or something was on the Y axis. But of the different industries there, agriculture had the steepest slope, which basically means that it's very elastic. So for every sort of progress you make, however you define it in agriculture, you you lift the amount of people out of poverty. So a lot of sort of um, impact investment firms love agriculture. And on that note, there's a lot of traditional investment firms that are now developing or launching and promoting their impact investment teams. So anything impact related that also gives dividends and therefore has sort of like, um, uh, has uh, like, you know, double bottom line or triple bottom line results, which means that it's not just financially, you know, successful, but it also helps people, etc. Investors love. So that was two industries, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think the third industry definitely is logistics. Jack okay. Ma, founder of Alibaba, said it himself when he came to Africa, uh, I think it was two years ago, right before COVID. And he said, the person who figures out logistics, moving goods and services around Africa is going to be like Mo Ibrahim, the guy who brought uh, cell phones to Africa. So looking at, you know, the continent of Africa, multiple countries, um, there are people, you know, uh, you have West, uh, e or Augusto. What are the specific, I would say, uh, um, industries that people should target? For example, let's say when you go into West Africa, what, uh, what are the industries you should tackle when you go into East Africa, North Africa, stuff like that? Do you have any idea or any pointers how people can get that information so they can be able to, you know, invest wisely? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I like how you formulated it by separating different regions because Africa is not homogenous, right? So country um, has different things trending. It's hard to say because we would have to go through all 50 plus countries and say specifically X, Y, Z, and I don't have that knowledge. Um, but I way for people who, first of all, if you're interested in Africa, Africa, right? And then figure out if your skill set is applicable in the place that you're visiting. And if it's not, don't force it. 
you know, there's lots of countries and lots of people and lots of places, huge base, over 300 million consumers in Africa. You don't have to force it. You can, you know, find something else in a different place. Um, but I think, I think, again, the short answer is that, you know, Africa needs everything. Everywhere needs everything. You know, so it's not it's not one thing versus the other is what are you good at? What will be your unique selling points? Right. Um, and where do you have the best networks? Because you have to know people or have to you have to know people who can to know more people to be able to break barriers. Right. To get the get through government red tape, to get customers to like you, you know, to do all those different things. People go and they they, they buy things that they where they if they know someone or if they like the person or if the person's affiliated with something they like. And there's no other way to get that sort of local knowledge than to have a local represent uh, representative and, and visit yourself. Okay, so just from my experience, I think I'm um, going back to library frequently that I have done. I realized that there are a lot of little drinking spots. I don't have the like, entertainment centers. And I looked and what I see is like for every five houses, there is an entertainment center. And so I don't know you being in, um, you have knowledge when it comes to investing or when it comes to starting businesses in Liberia or in uh, uh, African countries. What are the what are the startup process for these things? How does this happen? Because I think for me it's just like okay, it's like you get up tomorrow morning at five, just recreate it. Is there any? Yeah, problem? I mean, first of all, Papa, the people in the less busy like bro. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that I mean is is a is a normal something that you have people just wanting to drink their worries away. So that doesn't you know that's not surprising. Um, how and and why? Or, well, the why, but how are they doing this? You know, you just you can put together a couple of dollars and put a plastic table with some white chairs around. You get a tiger generator. You put five dollar fuel in it, and you play some music, and people will come and drink. It's not difficult to do. It can be a nuisance if the place is right across from your house, mm -hmm. but it's not difficult to do, and that's why it's so prolific. Um, but if you want to do it the right way, you have to go to, you know, you have to register your business. If you are Liberian, it's, uh, in, it's affordable. And if you're a foreigner wanting to invest in Liberia, it's, it's way more, uh, expensive, but it's not as expensive as, you know, in other countries. And by the way, your business should be able to make enough to cover that cost over time anyway. Um, you just register your business, you find a location, you lease the place or you build the land that you own and you, you know, you get it moving. So if your question is why there's so many drinking spots, that less business. If your question is how do, how do you start a drinking spot? You find a location, you register your business and you pitch a tent. <laughs> Good. Um, so um, long-term versus short-term investing, what's your opinion? Long. Okay. Life is not free. So why would you do anything short-term? Life is not free. I mean, okay, so what, what is short-term investing? Short-term investing is maybe day trading. Yeah. And that's cool. There's some people who can do that mm -hmm. and, you know, make a lot of money from it. Um, but, you know, when we think about investing, it's associated with financial success. And very seldom do you find people really attaining financial success in a short time if it's not stolen. So, I mean, I think just from the data that we have available to us, you know, it's long-term investing is the way to go. And that's why if you're going to invest in something and want to reap the benefits over time, it should be something that you can invest in and be passionate about and care about over time. Of course, circumstances change. So 
that's why also it's important to think about whatever you invest in, are there exit opportunities? So when, for instance, in the in sort of the investment advisory world, you have to put together teasers to get people interested in the opportunity. And then you have these things called information memorandums, IMs, um, or investment memorandums rather. And uh, a key section in the IM is the exit strategy because an investor wants to say, okay, fine, I'm gonna give you this $8 million that you're asking for, but how do I get my money back? And when do I get it back? You know, because number one, they have to calculate their returns, mm -hmm. but then, you know, it's not charity, you know, it's not a church, it's money that they want to get back plus some on top. So you have to explore exit opportunities, right? So when you think about long-term investing that provides you at least a runway to be able to grow the business, create value, to make it interesting for the next guy who's gonna come and buy your share or whatever you've created. And that doesn't happen overnight. You're gonna, you know, uh, there's this thing in finances like garbage in, garbage out. You know? Like when you build these models that tell you that you're gonna be super successful, it's only telling you what you're telling it. You know, if I put in that my price is going to be high, my costs are gonna be low, you're gonna see a very cushiony, attractive profit margin, right? But that's what I put in, you know? Reality can be very different. So you need time to kind of smooth out all the bumps over time uh, to get to where you need to get to, to show some uh, some valuable asset. Okay, so you being a business owner, having to, um, a business in two different countries, how have you experienced, uh, have there been any challenges um, experiencing managing your business in multiple locations? Yes. <laughs> Of course, Edwin, EJ, it's not easy. It's not easy. We always, we look at people and we're like, oh, this person's doing this, but we're sweating. Um, first of all, human capital. The numbers are never right, no matter how many times we go over it. So you just have to take that L and say, okay, you know, I'm putting aside, I'm airmarking 15% for losses, or if the number is off by like 10% every day, it's okay. Okay? Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes they just, it's not intentional, you know? So that's a huge issue. And that's something I had to kind of adopt over time because I'm pretty pedantic and meticulous about things getting done. And whatever. so, you know, that's gonna happen. And I think by the way, that'll happen anywhere in the world, right? Um, I think the second thing is just like, in Liberia, you have a lot, of, everything's in, you know? Um, I, part of, I wanted to, the other thing I wanted to do with Daily Goats was to give, um, to have a, a, a shop where, uh, Liberian businesses, suppliers and whatnot could easily get access to valuable shelf space. Cause right now if they go into, you know, like the bigger supermarkets, they're on the bottom, they're hidden behind some other goods because other companies, are, uh, you know, in other places in the world with access to, you know, more support can achieve economies of scale and therefore have lower prices, you know, to, to sell on the market. And a lot of Liberian businesses don't have that their prices are high. So they're just not competitive a lot of times on the shelves. So I wanted to do that. So about 25% of our stock were are, are um, Liberian made. And so that's relatively easy to get, you would think. But then you have problems with people delivering. You have traffic. They will tell you that, oh, the delivery guy stole the money last week, so they fired him. So they're waiting to hire someone new so they cannot supply you this week. Then you end up looking like a fool because people are like, oh, I came to buy so-and-so and you don't have it. You know, so there's supply chain issues and that's where the logistics comes in. Um, uh, for the other items that are imported where I buy from a wholesaler in Liberia and then resell at the shop, um, you know, you have problems where if, for instance, the national port 
of Liberia at Freeport, for instance, if they don't dredge the port, which means they don't clean it out, they don't take out the sand so that large ships can 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 dock, then the wholesalers will not get their goods, right? And then sometimes if you have that issue, they might incur costs while it's in storage or while the ship is still out there. So they pass on that cost to me, mm-hmm. you know? So now I have vol- volatile prices and my customers are like, why are you messing with us? You know what I mean? And I have to be like, it's not me, you know? Then you have a place like Liberia that runs two currencies. Yeah. So I actually have a little board that says the daily currency and depend and, and and even though you have two currencies, you can only have one price, right? So you have to figure out, okay, well, sometimes I have to go back and say, well, now the price is I have to change the prices, you know, of the product because this is what I bought it at, and now this is what the exchange rate is. And if I accept it at the old exchange rate, I will not have enough money to then go repurchase to restock. Wow. You know, so I have I have foreign exchange issues. I have human capital issues. I have supply chain issues. Um, and then, like I said, we're not on the national grid. So if it's rainy season, which by the way is six months during the year, and it already started now, it was raining earlier. That's why I have my earphones here in case you couldn't hear me. Then mm-hmm. my solar system is not reliable. So then we don't have cold drinks reliably. I mean, it's just everything can be a problem at any time. But you're still pushing. And I want to know where is that zeal coming from? You got to take a drink for that? Side note, let's take a little commercial break, a little endorsement break, okay? I'm not yes, endorsement let, let them know. Let them know. <laughs> if you're in Liberia and you like a little bubbly, but you don't want to spend it on Moe, Dom Perignon, Veuve Clicquot, you can skip over from France, take a little trip to Italy, get you some Prosecco by, I think this is uh, the correct pronunciation, is Bacio della Luna, Okay. And if you want to learn more about it, you can hit up the Instagram page, Liberia Loves Prosecco. It's delicious. Liberia Loves Prosecco. Loves Love. Prosecco on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Um, how? Why am I still doing it? Yes. Well, to be honest with you, there's an emotional element to business. When you hire people, mm-hmm. you kind of take on their troubles. Okay. If I close okay. down daily goods. 10 people, 10 individual people are going to be directly unemployed as a result of that decision. 10 people equals 10 households, which as you know in Africa, because we're a communal society or community-based society, that means it's 10 people times at least 10 people that are depending on them. So to be honest with you, I want to fire people right now. There's some people who are not doing what they're supposed to do. I can't lie to you. Okay. Right now, while I'm coming here, I was planning on firing people. But then I look at it for law, I say, hey, girl, <laughs> how can I fire this woman? Because the lady, because also because of where we live, uh, half of my staff in an apartment building that we own, right oh, next to the business. Because then, <laughs> another issue, human capital in terms of competency and human uh, capital in, or human capital in terms of their reliability. Infrastructure in Liberia is so horrific that if people don't live right next to their business every day, they're going to be late. They're not going to get transportation. They're going to have this issue and that issue. They're going to have to leave at a certain time. But if they live right next door, at least that's one little thing that I can mitigate, you know? Uh, um, but that means that it's even harder to fire them because not only are you firing them and you can just turn your back and let them go, but you have, you're kicking them out of your house. Maybe the person came with their daughter. Like, who was that kind of bad luck and karma on you? That's a lot of pressure. Bro. Hmm. It's not easy. So that's one of the things. There's like an emotional element to it. But also it's like, what business is easy? As long as daily goods is sustainable. In any business I'm involved in, by the way, you know, because there's other, there's lots of things. I'm like the interim 
COO of uh, a, an, a streaming website that focuses on animated content uh, based out of New York, for instance. Every day they piss me off. You understand? But then you're like, eh, what if this thing becomes Netflix and I'm going to be like the guy at Apple before Apple became oh, Apple? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's a lot of stuff going on. It's a lot. But, um, you know, you just, you just, going because there's people who are counting on you. you you're, it's sustainable, so I don't put any additional money into it. And when I do, I do it as a zero coupon loan. So I want them to feed it's a business, you know? Um, and as long as it can continue to at least do that, that's okay by me. Well, I want to turn it a little bit. Uh, we've got a few minutes, but I really want to talk about portfolio diver diversification. Because I think a lot of times, you know, we who aren't as savvy when it comes to uh, finances, when it comes to investing, economics, you know, we just stick to what we know. So when people start investing, you heard about Netflix, you know about Apple. Is it things that you know, that's where you go. So can you just give us just, you know, some knowledge on when it comes to portfolio diversification? Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it's, it's self-explanatory, right? Like, um... I think that to it, there's different ways to think about it. So if you're investing in something as your core business, um, I, I, you have to be focused on it. So in that sense, to really put as as you, a lot of your energy into it, so you can't diversify and kind of split your attention in that sense. Um, I think when we talk about portfolio diversification, most of the time we're talking about sort of your investment portfolio in the public market. So. Mm. You know, when you're investing in stocks and whatnot, you want to maybe have some bonds in there uh, as, alongside the equity. Okay. And then with the equity investments you have, you don't want to be overly concentrated in one industry. So you want to have some tech exposure, maybe to FANG, that's, you know, Facebook, Apple, whatever, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And then you maybe want to also have some financial services companies in there. So, you know, like the big banks, you want to have um, uh, some manufacturing stuff. You want to have some companies that pay dividends. So that's really what they're talking about in terms of diversification. And the whole concept behind it is pretty, you know, straightforward. You want to hedge your bets because every industry cannot collapse at the same time. Very seldom does that happen, right? Even during the global financial crisis, there were people who were invested in sort of VIX industries, which is like, um, it's like the volatility index. So it's counter to basically what everything does. So it's basically betting that things will collapse. So if you are investing across everything, including VIX, for instance, then if there is a global financial crisis and things collapse, then VIX is going to take off and you're still going to be okay. So diversification is about balancing your portfolio and having, you know, eggs in different baskets. But it's not about sort of like direct investments, you know? I mean, if you are a serial investor, you know, someone who made a lot of money one day and you have billions sitting down. Yeah, of course. Like if you're like a, you know, a Buffett or Elon Musk or some of these basketball players, for instance, you know, Shaq is a really great investor. Nas is a great investor. Like these guys are investing in various different things and not just saying, okay, I want my money and put it just in Google. You know, that's what diversification is about. So if you're able to do that, kudos to you and you should do it. Okay, so there is, uh, I just want to, I don't know if well, we can talk about this, but there is, I think, a trend that I've seen recently on Facebook where I see a lot of people doing this, um, trying to bring this mortgage effect to Liberia or the African countries. And so you have this organization that is building and they're like, oh, build with us and the hustle called this, but every month you can pay this. 
And with my American knowledge, as someone who has um, been able to, uh, you know, acquire property in America and pay mortgage, I don't understand it. When I read it, I really don't understand it because I don't see the connection to the financial institution. I see me just connecting with an organization. And so I don't know if that's something that you have looked into that you can speak on and give us yeah. advice because I saw a couple of people commenting and asking for information and I, I really don't get it. Listen, I haven't heard about it, so I don't know the specifics, but I'm always prepared to make a comment about something. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I think mortgages are important. Debt is okay. Mm -hmm. All right. The American economy is based on yeah. leverage. Okay. It allows you to get things today that you cannot afford today and pay it out over time. That's okay. Right. So broadly speaking, mortgage and Liberia, okay. But why, why, how does, how, what makes mortgage work? Okay. What makes loans work? Credibility, mm -hmm. credit worthiness. How do we determine credibility and credit worthiness? It's on your spending patterns. In the US, that is consolidated into one number, your credit score, right? right? We don't have a credit score in Liberia. We don't have a credit bureau in Liberia. So how do you know that this person who's coming with sweet talk about taking your money and paying it back will indeed pay you back, right? So those are the kind of things that they have to kind of flesh out and, and you know make clear because you can make, you can start this mortgage thing today and you can go bust tomorrow because you'll give out all your money for people to take out mortgages. And what will you be able to do? The only thing you do, confiscate the property, you know, and then resell. And then it's just like, you're just redoing the same thing over and over again. So they have to figure out a way to have maybe access to salary payments directly from the employer. Um, maybe they can use, uh, I don't know what information's out there, but as far as I know, we don't have a credit bureau in Liberia today that is robust enough to provide enough information for a mortgage and to launch today. But it is a very, very good and novel idea because it is absurd that right now in Liberia, if you wanna build a home, your only option is to acquire cash by hook or by crook to go and build from the ground up. That's not fair. You know how many people that precludes, you know how many people in society are not able to do that? And do you also know the psychological implications of doing that? You know, there are people who just kind of have to accept that they're never going to be able to do this. And there are people who the minute they have the opportunity to have access to cash, of course, they're going to try to steal it because the society has forced them to do crooked things to get the capital, to just have a normal life, to have a normal home, to have a nice place to sleep. Why? So there should be a mortgage industry, but I don't know how they're going to pull that off right now. And with that being said, I, for me, I was just looking at the banks, um, looking in Liberia. I don't think I'm comfortable enough to deal with the bank. And then what happens when the bank, I don't know. Well, just, yeah. Well, from your perspective, so it's about the perspective, right? It's the bank that should be wary of you when it comes to mortgages, not the person who's taking out the loan. Because the reason is, is that if you're going to the bank for a mortgage, they're going to give you the money. Now they have to get their money back. So you do not have any risk. It's the bank that has that that's holding the risk because they have to get their money back with their interest on top. I think so. If you want to do this, if you can get the money, listen, holler at me because I would, you know, <laughs> you have to use other people's money to do investments. So if you're able to get some kind of mortgage here, like, bro, please let me know how you do it. So you can get our mortgage. I saw it and I just blocked that whole thing. I was like, this just looked like a whole scheme. Unblock it. Send me the link. Let me look at it. It looked like a whole scam to me. I was so scared. 
But um, before we can get off, I just want to talk about um, the risk tolerance. I think for me, I brought that up because I know that's one of the issues for me. That's why I haven't been able to probably, you know, get into businesses and venture into certain things because my risk tolerance is really, really low. Okay. Like, I am so scared because I feel it's like, you know, I see a lot of, you know, it's like you don't want to get burned. I think um, I say this because I think for us, you know, for I will speak for myself, who has been in a certain society where you work like i said you work hard for your money and so when you are trying to like go back home or go to you know go to i would say go back home because go back to liberia and invest there are a lot of other stipulations a lot of other things that involve that that basically scare you scare you i'm like oh my god like okay what might happen um the government might change and when the government changed this person might change and this might change and so i can deal with this and you know it's a lot that goes on and so for you guys who do it i just want to know like how can someone like me really really help themselves to elevate the tolerance of my risk <laughs> you know what i'm glad that you're talking first of all kudos to you on doing your research because i feel like this is sort of like business 101 um <laughs> so that's good um no listen i mean risk profile is personal uh -huh. you know like, I don't know what dependents you have. I don't know who you're taking care of. I don't know what plans you have. I, You know, how much you're paying for school, how much of it are you paying yourself? Like there's a lot of things, and so that's individual. So to say, how can I reduce my risk profile? I mean, it's, it's really about what you're committed to currently, mm -hmm. how much disposable income you have, and what percent of that disposable income are you okay to lose if you were to lose zero. it so if it's zero is zero hun like there's nothing <laughs> zero then listen forget about business and you doing podcast business <laughs> forget about investing like and just your podcast because if you put money to anything and it's not just liberia or sierra Leone or whatever if you put your money in the stock markets it may not go up I can't, I can't do it. So my dear, the only thing I can do for you, I'm not being paid by these people. They don't owe me anything, but there are online banks that have relatively higher interest rates. It's very low, but it's still higher than mm -hmm. high street banks. Put your money there. Maybe buy a CD, you know, oh. uh, uh, and let it lock it up for nine, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, and just be happy like that. And it's okay, by the way. Not everybody needs to be doing everything. And I like that you say that because I think a lot of um think a lot of people are pressured. Um, like now with the trend that's going on with these um coin base or whatever that is. I don't even know because that's not my area. But I see you know people talking about it on Facebook, they're doing this, they're doing that. I know a couple of friends who are sent you text, send you a list of you know what you're supposed to invest in. And I'm like, look, I'll do this up. I put my money in the bank. And I got my little CD and I got my little other savings that I can't touch. And I got my little son uh, um, college fund and I got some other little things going on that I'm doing that I'm okay with. It's fine for me. I can different strokes, different strokes for different. That's it. Do what makes you happy. I mean, Coinbase is cryptocurrency. I can tell you what Bitcoin was $60,000 last week. Mm -hmm. Two days ago, I had a conversation with a friend who told me about this new platform um whatever and so we're checking out prices and it's fifty five thousand dollars this week so it you know like these are risks that you have to take i mean everyone has different risk tolerance mm -hmm. 
and you got to do what you have to do. You have a great job, you have a home, you have a family, and you are prioritizing them. So what? Is that is that since when did that become bad? It's kind of like these people now. It's like everybody wants to be like a social media uh, entrepreneur or influencer. It's like they want to work at the bank. <laughs> Who's going to be the teller? Who's going to to sweep the roads? Everybody, do 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 what you need to do. Mm. But I I don't judge. And that's and it's funny you say that because I know I say that I don't like you know you can pay your bills you're fine you're able to obtain the things that you want or the things that you need and you're great you're living a good life you're sustainable I'm great for you I'm happy for you but I think a lot of us um I think and just you know before we leave but I think you know we're from Africa so we're going to talk a little bit about corruption but I think that's why you know the part of the world that we're from is so corrupt. It's because people are trying to, like we say in Liberia, put their hat where their hand can reach. Uh, we obtain all these things. And what world, I will tell you what puzzled me when it comes to Liberia is people believe that in order for them to be rich, they have to work, work for the government. I don't understand that because for me, I believe, no, civil servants are supposed to be rich. You're working for the people. You yeah. like, What are you going to get? But I well, realize that. So I don't I understand. understand that. Maybe you can yeah. I mean, for me, it's quite simple. I don't judge people, you know, because the reality is, is that I there's decisions that I have never been forced to make in my life because of the grace of God. My parents made good decisions on certain things. Their parents made good decisions on certain things. So I am privileged and I recognize that. And I and, and in so doing, I have to acknowledge that had I not had the opportunities I had, I may have been making the same decisions to maybe be corrupt or, you know, whatever that other people are doing. So for one, it's it's a no judgment zone. That said, I agree with you that typically if you are a civil servant, you are supposed to be serving yeah. your community and the public. And so you work for us. We pay our taxes, then you get your salary, and that's mm -hmm. it, right? Um, in Liberia, the, the idea of, you know, graft and corruption is as old as time. And I'm sure that's the case in places. So I am, again, it's something that people have, they grew up looking at and seeing as they grew up in Liberia. So it's almost the exception for people to think it's another way around. And I keep saying Liberia because we're talking about in the Liberia context, but yeah. listen, I almost offended, and I know we're talking about Liberia because we're both Liberian and this is, you know, whatever, but first of all, corruption is a two-way street. Oh. For me to take a bribe, you have to be bribing me, right? Yes. So there's international companies that come here and we, we always say, oh, the minister did this and this person did that, but he didn't clap his hands and make US dollars. Somebody offered him that US dollars. So let's, 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 let's judge both people. That's the first thing. The second thing is every year in the UK, you have MPs that are taken down because they're allowed to have one home as a private home and then another home as like a vacation home, but they have different sort of like, um, cost or tax uh, uh, laws governing the, the ownership of them. And these people will kind of like, um, uh, uh, how you say it, like they will, uh, they will put different homes in different places and misallocate so that they can, you know, reduce their, their expense requirements and this and that. 
is corruption there also in the UK? The difference in the problem that we have in a place like Liberia is that when this MP steals in the UK, the tube continues to run, the roads continue to be paved, the lights continue to stay on, people can start their small businesses and individuals can keep it moving. And there are systems, justice uh, 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 frameworks that will deal with that guy if there's a whistleblower. Mm-hmm. In this case, every dollar that is stolen in the government, you can literally see where it came from. <laughs> there's a government official who's not mentioned. There's a rumor now that a government official was caught in France with $2 million cash. Okay? Cash. I won't get into the details of the things. Cash, bro. I won't get into details of what happened after that. But I can tell you that that $2 million is two miles that could have been paved on the Robertsfield Highway that's not currently being paved. That right now when a truck breaks down because there's only two lanes, it causes accidents. I know people who have died on the Robertsfield Highway. Until today in 2021, people are still stealing the money that could repair a road that would not only improve commerce and indirectly ultimately provide more government revenues, okay, through taxes from those businesses, but it'll also save lives. That's the problem we have with corruption. Not that corruption is innate African or that corruption is so bad because at the end of the day, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And if I was in that situation, maybe I would, I too will steal. But you know what I would do? I would not steal the whole 10 that comes in. If 10 comes in, I will not steal 10. Or if 10 comes in, I will not steal 12 and indebt the country. If 10 comes in, I will steal one. Okay, and invest the other nine so that I can steal another one again tomorrow. One, one, another comes. That's the problem I have with these people. That's the problem I I have. Yeah, and I think it's because they don't understand the whole, they don't understand the factor of it because it's like if you go there the first time and you take everything, you're going to spoil your way. So you can't. Let me tell you something. Ija, let me tell you something. The reason why they do that is because we're in a country that has has a, a very recent history. Well, it's not recent, 20 years now. We need to stop talking about this war. But we have this history of volatility and instability, right? And I didn't want to pass. But the issue that people have, EJ, is because I think um, you know, people are used to 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 instability, right? So we're not we're not long-term planners because we don't know if tomorrow something will pop off. So we have this, we've been educated directly and indirectly to take what we can today because tomorrow may not be okay. That's a problem. So a lot of the problems, a lot of things that actually need to change, I think in Africa and around the world, the world. is to start to, to psychologically educate people, you know, and, 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 and I, how you say, um, cure people from the PTSD of instability. And I like what you said, because I think that's my goal. That's why I started this podcast. That's why we do what we do. It's because we feel that, you know, our community, the Black community, African community, African-American community, there are conversations that need to be held and people don't have these conversations. Um, You coming on here and giving us this knowledge, people pay for that. People pay Listen. for that. People pay for the knowledge that you've given us. Um, for the people who watch and who will watch it, they will get something for free that other people, that people who, uh, people who have the privilege pay for. And so I think it's my goal, it's my plan that you know we can educate the masses because I think 
when the people the person who don't won't have the opportunity like me or you to get on a plane or to go somewhere or to get the education but if you can just tell them like you know what ma you got twenty dollars you know keep the couple of five dollars in the bank keep that five dollar for a rainy day and use the other 15 and that you know like when you when people are learning these little 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 spending and how to save their money and what to do with it and the right things to invest in in the right business um I know somebody who uh, um, started a coal business and that person got so much money. And I'm just like, from selling coal. Let me tell you, I'm literally wearing, I was joking at the beginning, but I'm wearing this boo-boo as an homage to market women. Yes. The market women in this country are the ones who outside of foreign investors are carrying this economy on their shoulders. They have, they're sending their children to school abroad. They're sending their, their, their foolish husbands to hospitals when they, they, they act naughty. Do you understand what I mean? These women have real money tied in their lapa under their boobies. If you are tight, you understand? like a woman, lapa knows. You will Thank understand. You. Okay. <laughs> you will understand. I just, this I had a friend I went to, to be made. I went to high school with. She, her mom saw roasted fish and roasted meat, and she sent her son to J.J. Roberts. Okay. And from there, he's in the United States, and her mom helped him with the help of well, financial aid and stuff like that. He went to college yeah. in the United States from selling fish. And like when yeah. you talk, I think you talk about earlier, when you talk about agriculture and all that kind of stuff, and I think all those things, we can really see the importance of those things. Like it's not everybody can sit in an office. Not everybody can. And not, not everybody, everybody should. Can. Not everybody can walk the street and be cute and get and get things free. Cause we we know that happened too. We're just gonna leave that part alone. Okay. Now, everybody, yeah, everybody that can happen for everybody. But I think that everybody can take that step to say, you know what? I'm good at this. I can sew. I can do hair. I can do nails. You know, I can talk. I like to talk. So I need to find a way that I can make money from talking. You can host little events where people can come there and do all these things. It will work out great. But we're at the end of the show. Aww. It has been an amazing, amazing time. You were so great. You got me confused. I told you, see, I did my research. You see all my notes and everything. I had to know what I was doing. I'm not, I'm not mess me up over here. But you were great. And we want to say thank you from the Conversation family. You are part of this family. But from us, we say thank you for coming, sharing with us. We appreciate you. We um, know that, you know, life is not all roses, but we will continue to pray for you as you go and into all the different things that you I receive do. receive it that God will bless you. He will strengthen you. He will give Amen. you more energy to Amen. the people that you have to deal with. And Amen. I just say thank you. Thank you for coming on here. Thank yeah. you for having me. Uh, the time went by very fast. I guess you have uh, time flies when you're having fun. I hope yeah. I was able to at least share some little information. I mean, an hour is actually not that long and there's a oh. lot to talk about. So I hope whatever I said was delivered in a way that somebody learned something or felt enlightened in some kind of way. Feel free to hit your girl up if you want more info. EJ, continue to be fabulous. Oh, thank um, and I hope that we can get this show syndicated yes. so that we can start getting some real, real, real money. You got to invest in coin base, bro. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I will talk to you about that off air. 
But this okay. was a great show, everybody. This, of course, this was the conversation outspoken and opinionated. My, my name is Edwin J. Meyer. That was Miss Asatu Shannon. We had a great time, and we said thank you all for being here. And we say you guys have a great Thursday because we're out and you're in. <laughs>